Outside the studio host, yoga teacher, meditation guide, author, and health coach Tessa Tovar is proud to announce Reset Your Nervous System and Reduce Anxiety Workshop featuring Tessa and Cass Wick on Saturday, March 12th and Sunday, March 13th from 2 to 5 each day. You'll experience a deep calm and a feeling of well-being in this two-day workshop that focuses on emotional hygiene, the development of healthy mental and emotional habits. You'll connect with yourself in a supportive community, learn about anxiety, how to manage it, and build a toolkit to support yourself through difficult moments. The workshop also includes backbending practice sessions, activities and discussions around reducing anxiety, classes for nervous system reset and support, practical tools and skills to feel better in your body, opportunities to learn about yourself with support and community, a free coaching session with the Westfeld Institute, and some great swag. Find out more at tessatovar.com backslash events. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. I am here with an amazing guest today. This woman's name is Signe Myers Hovum. Um, she is a wonderful person who has so much to offer us in the way of, I would say, a lot of wisdom in the world of um, compassion, self-care, and um, what it means to be empathic. So we're here today to talk about so many different things. And I know this is like a huge topic, but um, I want to highlight Signe's new book, The Space in Between, An Empath's Field Guide. It just came out October 12th, 2021. So Signe, congratulations, number one, on this. And um, as a fellow author, I know what it's like to, to have an idea that comes to fruition and then you give birth and send it out into the world. <laughs> so first of all, how does that feel? Well, thank you for having me, Tessa. I'm, I'm looking forward to our chat today. Um, how it feels to finally, my book, I will have a copy here. Beautiful. Um, you know, it was, at many times I thought I'd stop. Um, it took me 10 years to write this book. And um, that is a labor of love. And, and so... I'm very excited. I have to say, you know, there's so many steps in getting published that, you know, you, you get your book finished, but then begins another phase that, you know, I wasn't aware of, you know, such as the publicity, the promotion, the, you know, um, you know, that part in which you get it to your audience's hands, um, take some promotion and putting myself out there. And so I'm, I'm getting comfortable with that. Uh, finally, it's, um, I've warmed into it. And I find that what is really great is when people who have read the book um, come and tell me how, um, how that really resonated with them and how they had not read a book like this before, which is all, always nice to hear as an author, because, you know, if you're going to write a book, about a subject that has been covered. There's more and more books on the subject of empaths out there and highly sensitive people. Um, but I really was motivated to take a very uh, personal turn towards a subject and use, um, and that's why I call it a guide. It's a mm -hmm. guide because I'm guiding you. I'm not telling you absolutes. I'm not um, making you displace your authority into a belief system. Um, but I wanted to look at the mechanics and the function and purpose of sensitivities in a way that has a more spiritual um, bent to it or filter. Mm, yeah, I love that. I appreciate it so much. You also are a spiritual counselor. So I'm sure that life experience and the work that you do with individual clients really comes into play here with this guide. Well, it's interesting, you know, I was um, long before I ever would like announce myself as an empath, I was always a spiritual counselor. You know, I don't have on my business card empath, I have spiritual counselor. And, and I came to write this book because I was working in Houston, Texas at the time, and I was at a large therapeutic center. And 
I had a lunch break. I was at a grocery store and um, Oprah magazine was right at the cashier counter. And on the front of this was a subtitle to an article inside called Beware of the Sponge People. And this was back in 2007. And I was, one, really pleased to see this subject on a mainstream magazine, you know, bringing light to it. And I picked it up and I took it home and I read it and I read it. And there was so much um, uh, fear-based language that was being used. And part of it too, I give a lot of latitude that marketing, you know, the marketing and promotional people will kind of try to capture what's in at the moment. And I think Harry Potter was really in. So some of the subtitles were like the dark arts and things of that nature, which didn't help when I was already picking up a lot of fear-based language about protection. And so I'm a little bit like an archeologist, I guess. I like to take a step back. I like to see what's presenting in society. I like to see what the shifts in energies are doing. And at that time, um, people who were empathic or highly sensitive um, were being told to protect a lot. Mm. That made it something outside of yourself was something you needed to protect yourself from. And I didn't quite get that because from my understanding, from my own empathic energy awareness, that, that empathic nature that I'm hardwired into would never put me um, in a disadvantage or be a detriment. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that there were, um, you know, there was still some knowingness that needed to come into mass consciousness about everyone's own energetic self. And we were at that time was still pretty much focused on the physical realm. And so I wanted to write a book that would address, um, you know, this, but also since the time it took 10 years to write, you know, humanity has evolved as well, more consciousness. There's more talk about energy awareness, um, energy anatomy, consciousness. So we kind of went from being fear-based, you know, 25 years ago to now, like in the last five years, there seemed to have been a lot about it's a gift, it's a power. And it kind of swung the other way. I said the pendulum swings, but you know, a spiritual path is always in the middle. Mm -hmm. And so it really made me realize, well, why has it gone so far into like the gift and the power? And one of my surmises is that um, I think a lot of empathic people have felt unable to communicate who they are, even to themselves and to others. And I look at language a lot and the dictionary places the word empath as its origin of science fiction or fantasy. And even as I was writing my book, there'd be many times in the beginning that I'd confront that the word document wouldn't accept the word empath. Um, It would accept empathic, but even that they'll still say origin, fantasy or science fiction. And so I realized that, you know, people going to gift and power, it wasn't, you know, maybe a little bit of ego, maybe a little bit of, you know, but it could be too, because there's no way to talk about ourselves. And so they overcompensated for it. You know, they overcompensated into it being a power and a gift. Whereas I would like to bring it back to the middle and discuss it as this is a naturally hardwired um, sensory perception. It just happens to be in the realm of intuition. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's kind of why I think when people read the book and each chapter has questions at the end of the chapter to do your own self-discovery and your own contemplations. Um, because the motto of my book in the beginning, it's, it's the Greek poet Pindar, know who you are and be such. And I feel right now, particularly, there's a lot of people who are ready to really know who they are outside of conformity to um, society and culture. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so many good things. And I'm, I think I'm just taking all that in and processing uh, from so many different lenses, from a personal lens and applying it to my own experience in life. And, um, I I think I empathize with this idea that, um, well, maybe not even tell actually just talking to you right now, have I thought about 
empathy as a gift to me because I, I identify with that way of being and I always have, but it felt like, because I started my career in the corporate world, it felt like it put me at a huge disadvantage in that way. Um, I remember coming home from, uh, my job. It's funny before we hit record, you were like, are you in Seattle? And I used to be, and that this, this, uh, world of corporate, America is where I started in Seattle. So I would come home from this day job and I would just be in tears because I was working in this high pressure environment. Um, people were kind of yelling at me or just not very nice to me. And I always said, Oh, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I don't know how not to be upset or kind of, I don't know how to protect myself in this way. So I felt like Number one, yes, I had to protect myself. Number two, it felt like my personality um, made me be fearful of being judged or misunderstood or not up to par with what it took to be a good employee in that environment. Um, and I remember my husband saying to me, you need to have a thicker skin. And so for the next decade, I practiced <laughs> growing a thicker skin. And now it, this cultural shift, it feels like, yep. Um, now it's a superpower. Now we get to celebrate it. Now I'm trying to figure out how do I do that? Cause you know, it's reversing a decade's worth or more of telling myself that's not okay. You're not going to be accepted. So, so that's number one. Like I can, I can empathize with this on a personal level and a cultural level. And, um, and number two, I guess I'm wondering like when we're at this place in our lives as empaths that we're coming to terms with this idea that it's not that something I need to protect myself from. There's kind of a disconnect, I think, that happens between um, the head and the heart or the mind and the soul or the ego and, you know, um, the essence of who we really are. And so I wonder what you, I imagine you work with people on this topic a lot in, in your spiritual counseling. What do you say to that person? Well, you know, a disconnect creates separation, you know? And so for me, as you know, as a spiritual counselor, I'm about the neutral channel where compassion is. And I highlight that, you know, people might think it's odd to say that compassion is neutral. But when you are in compassion, you're not judging, mm. right? And I think so much of a person's spiritual path, and I, I do say if you identify as an empath, you're on a spiritual path because your sensitivities are wanting to show you who you truly are. It's the, one of the most authentic parts of you. It requires that you know yourself beyond culture and society. Mm. And it's, it's showing you that you have the ability to have a larger conversation with the environment than maybe other people. It, but what happens is that a lot of people who are unaware that they're empathic, they, they don't understand that they're having this extended conversation. And so they kind of fall into, well, if I feel it, it must be mine. Mm -hmm. And then they take on years of trying to process stuff that they've maybe picked up and, um, and, and they've had a, you know, they've been confused, they've been overwhelmed. Um, and they seem to slip farther and farther away from their true essence. And so in that situation, you get somebody who is unaware they're empathic, and yet they've created more or less barriers rather than boundaries. And so a barrier is like, you know, a bunker that you are feeling like you're protecting yourself, but you left yourself really no resources um, to help you. And so a lot of my work is helping people come into, you know, what is a boundary rather than a barrier. And a boundary is really set naturally energetically through your own knowingness of yourself, you know, your resilience. Um, and that comes through, you know, knowing yourself. And a lot of people use affirmations like the I am. The I am is incredibly powerful. Um, in energy work that I do, the I am represents, you know, the blood. I mean, it's the essence of who you are. And 
So if you have an I am statement and you can hold it at your center, it will resonate out through your energy field. So if you say something I am, but you're not quite there, you don't quite believe it, you're working towards it, um, it just becomes rote and it doesn't really help shift things. But if you can feel what it is, like if I say I am beautiful, what would beautiful feel like? You know, and what you go to the feeling, you go to the emotional body and the emotional body is like fuel. If you're going to create change in your life, you need to sit with the feeling of what it is you are wanting to embody. And so maybe for people who have maybe had very um, dysfunctional childhoods or filled with trauma, the idea of peace is so abstract. I don't know what that would feel like. But even in the curiosity of what would it feel like, you are starting the journey. And, and there's also, you know, um, I, I did a lot of studies through different um, modalities, but my most recent one was through, I lived in Perth, Australia, and the Melanie Ryan Institute of Applied Consciousness is where I had done some of my most recent training. And she was very, you know, she's an amazing woman um you should all go to their website and look up she does both um energy medicine trainings and uh, she has a meditation group called mahat but one of the things that you know she really highlighted is that um when you interact with something that you really um would like to be yourself and you say i am that um, it helps you and your subconscious mind to have a framework of what you're, what you see yourself as. And likewise, when you see something behavior that you do not agree with, it, it doesn't align to your ethics or your sensibilities. Um, you don't have to judge it, but you can just say, I am not that. And this ability to go through life and say, I am that, I am not that. It isn't that you're creating cords to it. So it's not like you're entangling yourself to it, but it is helping you to identify for yourself a resonance of what you know is true for you. And, um, and part of this is because, you know, that we live in a world of duality. And, you know, the interesting thing about duality is that, you know, the earth's natural state of being is, has, polarity, has poles, it has polarity. It is natural for it to, but, you know, the way that Melanie describes it is that when the human consciousness came into the earth plane, the only way it could, um, you know, relate to this dual, uh, to this polarity was to create duality. And so I am, I am not, this is kind of playing with that. And it is a very profound tool to use, particularly if you're sensitive and watching the external world can really throw you off. If you watch news, if you see something traumatic, um, rather than go straight into like over identifying with it, if you were to simply say, I am not that, um, and not, you know, it's the behavior base, like the, people's behaviors. Um, you know, things that you see that you don't understand, how could this be, you know, giving yourself that ability to say, I am not that allows you that space instantly, um, of not feeling connected to it. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. I love the, I love the, um, the clarification of barriers, not, or I have it backwards boundaries, not barriers. Yeah. Um, that's very helpful. And I feel like it's something tangible that we can like immediately look at and identify. Is this a, a barrier for me, for me, or is this a, a boundary for me? I think yeah. it's so helpful. I also love the use of affirmations. I am, I am not. Um, and you, something that you're highlighting for me that I'm just realizing I have this judgment about that polarity is a bad thing, which it's nothing really is inherently bad. It's how often it's used or labeled or misused maybe. So, um, but I do think it's, 
it's a helpful and healthy way to understand that polarity is natural and duality is natural and it's part of this earthly plane and it's also would you say it's part of spirituality as well polarity well i would say duality is part of consciousness it's a separation you look at you know the people who and i'll use our senses coming back to sensitivities so plato identified the five um you know senses of the you know our sight our nose our smell you know all of these are senses that we create perception from and this is of the physical realm but our intuitive senses clear sentient clear audience clairvoyance um they are senses of the energetic realm. And there's been this tendency of feeling that it's one or the other, when in fact, it's both, you know, I, in the book, I talk about, um, you can have a coin and it's heads and tails. And we tend to, if it was laying on the table, we would tend to think, oh, it's, it's heads. But in fact, it's simultaneously heads and tails, and it's made of the same material. So our energetic and our physical, we're all vibration, we're all energy. And the consciousness that's coming in now is finally recognizing that um, duality doesn't have to separate the two, that you can come to the middle, you can come to the central channel. And, um, and you may still perceive things as I am and I am not for the benefit of being on the physical realm, you know, but it doesn't have to um, limit you in how you know yourself. Yeah, mm, that's so good. Thank you, Signe. Um, so you told us a little bit about how the, the impetus behind writing this particular book. Um, I, I'm curious, what drew you to the field of spiritual counseling? How did you find that work? Well, I. Um, you know, it kind of found me, you do your own healing. And um, there is a Christian mystic, I'm not very religious, but I do appreciate truth when I hear it. Mm -hmm. And there was a Christian mystic who said um, that there's two paths to God, there's the journey to God, and then there's the journey within God. And whatever you want to call God, you know, I'm not labeling it a particular deity or anything. But for me, that was really true and evident when I had a lot of, um, you know, I had a fair amount of uh, childhood dysfunction and, you know, just many things as one does having a life um, that I really needed to change my story on, um, shift out of victim and turn it around. And when you do that, when you do shift enough, and you change the perspective out of being a victim, you naturally want to serve. Mm -hmm. It just kind of um, creeps in and before you know it. And But I would say too that early on when I was really on a seeking spiritual path and I wasn't sure what that looked like and I've done mostly an independent study. I've lived in many places around the world where there weren't a lot of um, resources for me so it made me go within to find the answers which you know now at the time it felt very isolating but now I see just the wealth of what I gained from that um, but there was a period in my time where it was easier for me to pray for someone else than it was to um, ask for myself and I had a big teaching steeped in that and and kind of what I got was you have to be willing to put yourself in the equation. Um, you know, there are many people who don't do that. You know, they think it's better to give and give and give, but energetically, that'll be a bust. And this is the, the beauty about energy, letting the energy speak or honoring the energy is it wants balance. And if I were to be asked, you know, what, how would I define an empath? It would be an empathic nature intuitively senses balance. So we can sense when something's not being said. We can sense when somebody's in a bit of denial. So, and also what we're picking up is usually unprocessed, meaning the person expressed it kind of out in the, um, the general field. 
And yet they are unaware they've done that. They're even unaware about what it's about. So that led me to have a lot more compassion to what I picked up. It wasn't about it invading me and, oh, what is this and the scary stuff. But it became more of a compassion of, I understand somebody is struggling and I can witness that. I'm not going to process it for this person, but I can feel it enough to name what it is and I can lift it up. And when I started to do that, the environment really um, calmed down for me. It was the more I accepted who I was, um, the environment, um, it, it, it kind of calmed down too, because I think it was like this trying to get my attention. And so one of the things I say in the book that might be considered controversial is that I really do feel that people can over-identify with the word empath. Because there is this arc of being empathic to becoming a functional empath. And this arc is a beautiful journey and it will reveal many things to you. But what happens when somebody who's not quite aware of what an empath is says they're an empath, the environment will respond because the environment takes you at your word because language is what we create with. And so I really, I have a, a chapter in here called an honest assessment. And it's not to mean that you won't eventually become an empath, but you really do. Um, life is much more chaotic and stressful than it needs to be by wanting to use that label without understanding it. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you were to say to me, I'm an empath, I would hope that means that when you're aware you're empathic, which is a sensory thing. And that when you you pick up something from the environment, you have the spiritual maturity, you have integrity, and you have boundaries, and you know to to inquire what to do with this. You you don't do a I'm going to go rescue this person because that's overstepping boundaries, you know. Because they talk about you know us empaths, we need our boundaries, but. We also have to ask yourself, when do we overstep boundaries to want to kind of rescue someone or to tell them something about themselves? Mm-hmm. And um, so, and then one thing I want to point out about why, when you identify that you're empathic and you can like rest into that, knowing that your sensitivities is actually guidance. Energetically, when you pick something up from the environment, your energy fields expand by a foot to two. And this is why our mascot is the sponge. We are spongy. So, but what it does is it holds it there until we can discern what we need to do with it. Do we need to ask, is this mine? Meaning, is it similar to something I've got issues around and it's just mirroring it to me and it's trying to, is it mine to witness? And, you know, there's a, and in the book, I go through kind of a, you know, an outline of, trying to do inquiry to what you pick up. And then, you know, if we acknowledge, oh, I picked that up, I'm feeling sad, my mood changed suddenly, I'm not sad, but why do I feel sad? Oh, I must have picked something up. And I tune in, you know, a little bit. And then once I realize that I got the message, you know, there's ways to clear your energy fields, because the one thing that can happen if you're oversaturated, a sponge that's oversaturated doesn't work anymore. It, it won't even absorb. And a lot of times people who are unaware that they're empathic, they have this sponge mechanism needs to kind of be enlivened and given tender loving care and acknowledgement because it's been, it's been shut down because it, you know, it hasn't been used. Every, you've accepted everything that you've ever felt as yours, which isn't the case. And that's why really one of the last bits to, going into, you know, the spectrum of an empath is untangling you from a lot of um, storylines or assumptions that you made based on what you felt that were not true for you. You just happened to be in the room witnessing it. Um, So. So, (laughs) um, gosh, okay. So here's what I'm thinking in, in response to that. I identify as an empath. We'll, we'll use my own personal story as an example. Um, here's what usually happens for me where I feel like I take on the suffering of the world. It feels like I've 
been carrying around on my shoulders and my neck for as long as I can remember. Here's a really good example of how that manifests in me. I'll be driving down a freeway and you know, those big, um, semi trucks that take animals to the slaughterhouse. If I pass one of those, or if one of those passes me, Mm. I have to, I can't, it's, it's a full body visceral reaction. I can't, it's almost like I want to look, but I can't bring myself to look. And so it's, it's, I feel like totally torn in half and I've always been this way with animals. And, um, it's like, I can feel the suffering of Mm. these tortured souls. And it just, Mm. I just cannot wrap my head around how we've done this to cows, to pigs, to chickens, to, you know, even those of us who have pets that we neglect. Mm. So that is kind of like my empathic, I will die on the sword for my animals. I'm saying this as my cat's crawling all over me. Um, (laughs) And so I don't know what to do with that. You know, when it's something that feels like, or the environment, you know, we think about climate change, global warming, the, the fear um, in the Pacific Northwest lately in the summers, the, the heat and the fires. um, It just feels like I've taken on all of that suffering and I feel helpless to stop it. And there's so much fear around that. So what do you do with something like that? I mean, that's the suffering of the world, right? It's, it's not mine. It's not me. I feel like I'm doing what I can to make the world a better place and, and not eat meat and, you know, those kinds of things. So sorry, go ahead. (laughs) No, no, I I think that it's important because, you know, what you are showing me is where your passion is. You know, you just told me that you understand that the animals and the environment, um, you're passionate about it, you know, and going back to compassion, you know, seeing this, knowing the suffering, knowing that they're, you know, they're going to meet their end soon. Um, you know, that shows you're sensitive and you have a lot of compassion for them, but it's not like you can run the truck off the road and save them all. So, um, you have to find a strategy that allows you to still be compassionate and, um, not accept their fate, but I would say fuel a world in which you want to live where that is not um, present. You remember the I am and the I am not? You look at that truck going and you know there's suffering there and you know there's animals. So, so feel the compassion, which is not judgment, but it's, you know, send them a prayer, an intention that their suffering is short-lived, um, that they're honored, that you honor their life. Um, and the behavior of needing to have, an, you know, whether it's industrial slaughterhouses, you know, I am not. And you fuel a vision of the earth that you want to live on in which, you know, you do not have to interact with that, that level. It sounds yeah. kind of idealistic, but put in practice, it's yeah. profound. Yeah. Is we're talking a lot and it can like kind of seem just one dimensional, but to everything I'm saying, there is depth, particularly as a sensitive person, we live a very immersive life. We don't just enter a space, you know, we kind of come into it, you know? And so when we feel grief and sorrow and suffering, it is visceral. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I wanted to point out about when I talked about the two, the, the expanding sponge or or the zipper that expands on a suitcase, you know, we do this, but, um, my point was being what about this? <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. Um, oh yes. So energetically we can feel something and it feels like it's right on us. And that's why we have the perception that, oh, we've just gotten, you know, our space invaded, but it isn't the same. It, it, it holds out there, but the energetic realm and the physical realm you know, 
energy moves differently a little bit. And so you can feel like it's right here and you have to just trust that it's out there. So, you know, when you're passing a truck like this and you are overwhelmed, you know, ask your spiritual body, you know, we have four subtle bodies. We have a spiritual, we have emotional, mental, and physical. Ask for your emotional body to, um, to not be so close to you, to give you some space. And you can ask your spiritual body to come close to you to help process um, this interaction, that, to bring you into compassion. And, um, and it's not that you're turning a blind eye, it's that you are witnessing, and yet you're still envisioning a world in which this is not present. Yeah. That's interesting that you say that. I actually had that thought. This happened last week. And as I was approaching it um, and feeling myself kind of ramp up with this reaction, I reminded myself of um, a Reiki prayer. I also um, have a Reiki certification. So just kind of a cleansing and and, um, letting go of and yeah, passing safely and passing quickly and, and coming to peace. Mm. um, is something that popped into my head. So, and, you know, it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it easier. Um, but it, I feel like it's the, you're right. It's not like I can be like, pull over, sir. I'm going to free these animals. What on the freeway right now? Mm. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I find that helpful. I'm looking for, out of my book. Okay, this is kind of relevant. Mm-hmm. So in my book, um, I talk about different examples. Like, you know, we can be overwhelmed as empathic people because we don't really feel it modeled back to us. But if we do look, there are many examples of uh, empath working spiritually, like the Dalai Lama. And I give an example of different cultures and different empaths that help us realize that we're not alone. There are people of great significance. And I used an example of when he was in Florida for a world prayer conference and there was, or he was in Washington, DC. And it was at the time of the Orlando shooting at a gay bar in Florida and many people died. And so I talked about prayer and is prayer enough. And and I will leave this story to be read. It's an interesting one because uh, the Dalai Lama kind of uh, flipped the tables on the media that was present. And because he did a prayer and then he immediately started laughing, which confused everyone, I'm sure. But he was doing something very um, well. I'll let, I'll let people read the book and, and hear why um, what he was doing. But what I did at the end is I offered the prayer. I keep a prayer. A journal and it helps me particularly like with incidences that you just described and I w- would like to read the prayer I wrote at the time of that um, I keep a prayer journal that helps me express my awareness and intentions for those in need of comfort and in the midst of a crisis including myself and my loved ones here is the prayer that I added in the moments after watching the Dalai Lama For those individuals who died together in Orlando in fear and shock, abruptly and at the hands of hate and terror, I hold for you a space of healing so that your loved ones may honor your life, your body, your mind, to balance the gift of life with the acceptance of death. In this space that is outside of time and space, may you receive exactly the healing needed to continue your eternal presence in wholeness and in peace. I honor you in your life that you chose to live, however you began it, however you ended. In peace and with mercy, may your light be brightened by the love you knew and shared. Amen. And then I just go to say, if you're inspired by a prayer or moved to compose your own prayer, that's a wonderful practice of expressing empathy, compassion, and awareness. But can you embody the sentiments of the prayer into a living, actionable form? to be the integrated substance, to be the instrument, to be the change maker. Sigmi, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, can you embody it? Um, I think that's the, that's always my question is the, how do you 
reconcile yourself with this with the suffering that we see in the world all around us. Um, and I, you, you did, you did say, you know, look for the things that look for the compassion is prayer enough. Um, and how do we embody it? Um, so these are all really wonderful prompts and questions. And I appreciate you sharing that from your book. The, the idea of um, keeping a prayer journal. I love this. And also it has me wondering about, what daily rituals you have, or maybe they're not daily rituals, maybe they're weekly or monthly or yearly rituals you have that keep you connected to your spiritual body to, um, and, and being grounded in that. What kind of rituals do you? If well, you I, I, um, I want to say, you know, empathy is very individual. It's very customized. And so I think people helping I journal. And I also, when I work with people, I ask them to bless their journal because when you bless something energetically, it puts it into service. And so it takes uh, something being more or less a monologue into a dialogue and it's, it's circular. It circulates then much easier. Um, and I also, you know, but empathy, a good exercise on journaling is to write down what your personal life experiences have provided you in having empathy. Because, you know, we see something outside ourselves that is similar to something we've experienced and it creates a connection. And so what I might have experienced, you know, um, you know, brings me a plethora of ways to connect to people based off of my own life experiences similar to theirs. And so everyone is unique in this way. So I think when somebody's trying to honor their life and get out of the victim, you have to be able to know what, where has it served you and empathy has done that. So th that is, um, that's not necessarily a practice, but I'm, I'm journaling. I think there's so many exercises one can do through journaling and, and doing the empathy list and seeing how it grows as you were. Imagine at 10 years old, what could you empathize with? Okay, at 20, what could you empathize? And just see as you age, how you actually can gain empathy. And even looking back, you can have empathy. And so empathy isn't time sensitive. You can retroactively empathize with something in your past that you didn't have the awareness of. So this is, this is the beauty about empathy is it, it's always there to expand with you. Um, the practices I really do, also is I do a projection um, kind of list in the evening. Projections are when we just kind of casually or maybe not so casually project onto another person. And energetically, it would be like you spitting a spitball. And some of them hit and some of them drop to the ground, but you know you don't know which ones really impacted somebody. And I talk about projections in the book because uh, rooms with a lot of projections kind of an empathic person will experience it as a toxic environment. There's just a staticky um, essence to it. And I, I bring up the projections because we self-project, right? So yes, we can project outwardly and it could be to a stranger, it could be to our family member, or you know, we could do it to ourselves. And this is very corrosive. Um, it's, it's one of, if I could have you know, a public service announcement, um, it would be, or do a, you know, a whole podcast on projections. It, th this doesn't matter if you're empathic or not. I mean, everyone does this. Um, but what I, what's interesting is that if you sit and you list what you are aware of, where you've self-projected on yourself or somebody else, or you would pass judgment, um, and you call it back because you were the creator. You created that thought. It originated with you and you have the power to call that back energetically. And um, that clears so much. It's like we look at the environment and there's pollution and we really, you know, we need to, you know, really work on the earth because we can see it. But energetically projections is littering and pollution and Empathic people kind of get double banged because they're feeling it energetically, but they're also seeing it in the physical. So another reason why I think we're extra sensitive and we're kind of overwhelmed 
because we're not only reacting to something we're seeing, but we're also feeling it energetically. Um, but so what I discovered, I'm not, as I said, I'm not a very religious person, but I do know the Lord's Prayer, and it talks about trespassing. And when I heard that after, you know, I've been doing a lot of work with energetic projections, I was like, oh, my goodness, this, this prayer is completely about projecting on you trespassing on somebody's own self, the way they see themselves. And, and, and that is incredibly selfish, you know, and I have a friend who his definition of terrorism is someone else telling you who you are. Um, and that's why a lot of people do conform because they feel they have to fit in certain boxes. And that's basically culture terrorizing individuals because they don't fit in. So projections and, um, you know, they, these are things that I take very seriously. And, and I, we have time, I'll share one. Um, I had a client who knew that she and her husband were projecting upon their teenage son, and it was causing all sorts of problems. And she had heard me, she showed me, I did a demonstration on what projections can do to an energy field using dowsing rods. And she went home, she you know, sat her husband down and I said, we have to change this. And so she explained to him what she had just seen and heard. And she, um, they sat down and they made a list of all the beautiful things they knew of their son, what they wished for him, all uplifting, no judgment. Um, and they, every time they felt themselves getting frustrated and wanting to, you know, uh, fr when you're frustrated, you project very easily. So um, they would go to this list and they would sit and they'd read this list until they could feel themselves come back into their heart and out of their mental body. And their relationship, she said, three months later, it was a completely transformed relationship with their son. Ah, oh, that's so cool. So yeah. what was the exercise that you did to um, visually see this? Okay, so I take dowsing rods and I can measure somebody's um, the, the, the outer right level of their energy fields. And then I have the group, I know be, uh, beforehand what they're, um, self-conscious of is that they know that this is going to happen. They just don't know what's going to happen. So they share with me what their self-conscious is because that's like Velcro to an energy field yourself, whatever you're, this is another thing journal on what are you make a list of what you're self-conscious of and mm, start to yeah. clean it up. But, um, <laughs> So then, you know, you have a group of people um, project mental thoughts on this subject. And then I measure the person's fields again, and it, it, it hits them. Their energy fields will shrink um, by, you know, upwards of three feet. And then I have somebody who's actually related or in a deep relationship with the person. And so it'd be more from the heart. And when you have, you know, anyone that you're really connected to project on you, it hits you even harder because they represent love. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, so it, it's a very, it's a very profound way of starting to live. And this is living consciously and being mindful. So can you do that in an interpersonal relationship? Let's say it's a husband and wife fighting about money. And they are each projecting their own lived history and values with regards to money. Can they do this with each other um, in the presence of one another? The, the scenario of like the third party son, um, this is an exercise that partners did without the son present, correct? Right. So yeah, because their thoughts were about the son. Right. Yeah. So when you know that you two are projecting onto one another and you're having this interaction that maybe starting get it, getting heated and money is one that I feel like most partners can identify with. Can you do that in the presence of each other, that projection exercise, or is it wiser to do it separately? Well, I would find that if you can sense that you're slipping into projecting, you catch yourself right? Mm -hmm. This is the conscious awake mind. It recognizes it's slipping. Mm -hmm. And so you counter it with, um, even though this conversation is frustrating or is, you know, going nowhere, 
I still honor and respect my husband. I know he has um, my best interest in heart or as something more positive. It, but you have to understand you're allowed to have disagreements. That's not necessarily projection. It's when you would project on him. Oh my, oh my goodness. He has no sense of financial, you know, it's when you go into attacking him as a person mm-hmm. um, that becomes a projection when it's just discussing, you know, finances and the frustration or, you know, you're allowed to kind of work. That's communication skills, mm-hmm. but the, the projection is more of a, an attack. It's a, it's like, you know, I used an example of, okay, you go to the cashier, you don't know the cashier and she has funny teeth and you think to yourself, oh man, she's got funny teeth. You know, she should go see a dentist or whatnot. And if she's sensitive and self-conscious on her teeth, it's going to connect. Right. And the thing is, is that person who was at the cashier, you know, if he caught his thoughts before he let go, because he, you know, it's a verb, you know, she's a person in front of him. He's thinking about her. It's like an IEP address. So it goes straight to her, you know? So when you at night, you know, or even in the morning go, Oh my goodness, I just projected, you know, I'm so sorry. I think there's a Hawaiian prayer. I can never say it. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no, something. It's about, uh, please forgive me. I'm sorry. Thank you. I love you. And it's like a five phrase thing. Um, look it up. It's a Hawaiian prayer. But to me, that is a counteraction to uh, projections that you're taking responsibility. You're sorry for trespassing, um, you know, and thank you for being present. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot you can do, but being more mindful, just catching yourself. And that's why in my journal, I reflect, I go, okay, have I, have I been lazy? Have I had a lot of different thoughts, you know, as a creator of them, can I call it back? And I I will say that if, when you buy my book, there's a link in the back of the book to my website to, uh, in the back of my website, I have three meditations. If you buy the audio book, you get it in the audio. And one of them is about lifting projections. And just as an exercise, a guided exercise that one could then start using regularly. Um, it is profound. <laughs> it, it really, it can, you know, change relationships a lot. And the other thing I do as a practice is the Mahat meditation. Mahat is again by Melanie Ryan. Um, look it up, Melanie Ryan. It's mriac.com.au. And she, you know, she's based in Australia, but she has practitioners around the world. And in, in the United States, their headquarters is based in New York City. But what's interesting about Maha, and it's been studied by a university in, um, in Australia to see its effects on, you know, helping regulate um, nervous systems and whatnot. But it is, um, it's not a, it's not a, quiet your mind you are actually learning to move energy through your energy systems and because just like your physical body needs exercise your energetic body benefits from you know circulation stimulation intention awareness and um and, and that is what you know she, her different levels do it, it you know it introduces you to this idea of moving energy and it builds on that and it's a very unique, but I, I do it um, individually by myself. And then twice a month, we, the global get together and we do it as a group. And the, the premise is knowing that we are all one. Um, there is no separation. Yeah. I love that. I've taken such good notes throughout this. Um, I, I've given myself so much homework throughout our chat. <laughs> Thank you for all these wonderful tips and um, journaling prompts and for putting this beautiful book out there. I can't wait to get my hands on it myself. There's, uh, so many things I want to dive into. Um, I'm wondering as just to wrap up here, if there's any last words of wisdom that you want to share or, um, like one takeaway or one key thing that you would like the audience to take away from this talk. I would like everyone who feels that they are sensitive, whether they're a highly sensitive person or an empathic person, um, 
to really reflect on what is the source of your sensitivities, because it's important for your own self-care, because if you're highly sensitive a person, you know, you'll have therapeutic support in one way. If you're clairsentient and empathic, you might need a more intuitive guidance or mentorship. And so understanding where your sensitivity source is, um, is very important to how you, you begin to help regulate your own nervous system, how you experience your life, how you tap into knowing who you are. And I think it gets extra complicated for people who are both empathic and highly sensitive. I, I am as I am. So I know that it takes a lot of self-monitoring. But the thing is, is that it, it isn't a burden. I mean, once you've accepted that this is part of who you are, it isn't like when I pick up something, I need to take 20 minutes. To, I might have way back when, but the more you, I have to get up because my computer's going to, I need to plug it in. So I'm just going to give a little tour of my house, I guess. Okay, here we go. Yeah, um, but uh, you, you, you honor yourself by understanding yourself. And, you know, um, I just really hope that people who are overwhelmed have permission to, um, you know, put a pause and said, go inward and let's, you know, let's look at this stuff. And, and if it's scary, then let's find somebody who can support me. Um, the back of my book has resources. I'm a guide, but I also know that there are some amazing people out there that have instruction and um, teachings and and if you want to develop it into even being you know uh, in service yourself so I just I want everyone to know that um, your sensitivities are a blessing and a guidance and and lean into that mm, thank you so much Signe such wise <laughs> advice and it's um, my soul personally feels soothed so I Thank you for that. <laughs> um, so please check out Signe's new book, The Space in Between an Empath's Field Guide. Um, Signe's website is S-M-H-O-V-E-M, -E which are, it's like your first two initials, your last name.com. I'll make sure all of that goes in the show notes so that you can find Signe's book um, and all of her amazing resources and services. If you want to connect, please do. <laughs> Yeah, and I would like to add, if anybody's interested, this is a great book to do as a study group, um, and particularly if you have somebody who can like lead it and make sure everyone doesn't overstep boundaries. <laughs> um, but, you know, so if anyone does choose to have it as a book group or a book study, um, approach me and I would love to join in for one of the, the sessions and the talk and an answer any questions. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, maybe I'll do that. Maybe we'll have a study. I love, gosh, it's been so long since I've had a book club or a book group. So you're lighting a fire for me, Sigmi. <laughs> Thank you for the offer. Uh, we will take you up on that. All right, my dear, I will let you go now. I appreciate your time and all of your wisdom today. Well, thank you, Tessa. It was a joy and I wish you well. You're very radiant. So oh, thank keep glowing. Um, thank you, Signe. Likewise. Well, everyone, that concludes another amazing, wonderful, mind-blowing episode, at least for me, I hope it was for you, of this podcast outside the studio. It's such a gift to be able to share these conversations with you, dear listeners. I have always had a passion for asking questions, for having these deep, meaningful conversations with people that are doing really interesting things in the world. So I just feel so grateful that I get to share these intimate conversations with you. My hope is that you learn something along the way, you feel inspired to try something new or to ask yourself or even a loved one a question that means something to you. You know, we're all on this planet together and we're all trying to find our way. So I hope this lights a, a dark path for you with a little bit of hope, a little bit of sense of that we're going to be okay and we'll get through this together. 
If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for, for future topics, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly, tessa at tessa tovar. That's tovar with a V as in victor.com. Uh, that goes the same for my website, tessatovar.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Tessa Marie, M-A-R-I-E, Tovar, <laughs> on the socials. So I'd love to hear from you anywhere that um, you you like to communicate and reach out. Uh, it's, it's so nice to know that people are listening and that things that we're talking about resonate. <laughs> I want to give special thanks to all of the people that make this podcast happen. It's not just me. I have an amazing team behind me of sound editing, engineering, producing, um, special music created just for you listeners. Uh, so the music is produced and written by Drew Laverne. Um, the sound editing, producing, and en en engineering is by the Talented Consistency Media Group. All right, that's it for now. We'll be back again soon. Tune in, please. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Share it with those that you think will find this information helpful. And stay well, my loves.